You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And you're listening to The Chris and Joe Show, presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum, and today we are giving you our breakdown and our analysis after taking a look at the tape from the New York Giants' victory over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a victory that was in last-second fashion, 32-31 to over Tampa Bay, thanks to a missed field goal from rookie kicker for the Bucks. And we're going to take a look at that later, but... There's a lot for us to cover, a lot of tape that we had to take a look at and break down to notice some pretty important things that need to be acknowledged from the game, positives and negatives from both sides. So the very first positive, Chris, we're going to go right on into this thing and start talking about how this game looked. And the very first positive might have been the fact that Daniel Jones' mobility added an extra element to this offense yesterday. He was able to create plays, extend plays, and we also saw in that final play on offense in which he was able to score a rushing touchdown. Would you agree that his mobility is now a asset for this offense going forward? Yeah, definitely. There were probably about five plays or so that Eli Manning just could not have made. Maybe four. The hole in the Buccaneers defense on that last rushing touchdown, Eli might have been able to make that work. But his touchdown on that it was either an RPO or a zone read for the Giants' first touchdown. Eli could never have pulled that off. There were a few instances where the Buccaneers missed sacks and Jones was able to execute a scramble drill and throw on the run. Eli probably couldn't have done that. And then there was that third down conversion where Jones was actually able to break a, def- a defender's angle with his speed. That's something Eli would never have been able to do, even when he was 22 years old. So that is a very good weapon for the Giants to have on offense. Certainly a very, very good weapon. And it's kind of funny when you look at Daniel Jones and even at the combine and all that, he does not look like this uber athletic guy, but he really showed that in full display. He was shrugging off sacks in one particular play in the second quarter. And we really saw what he's capable of as far as being a complete player um he proved that he's you know a big body big strong athletic kid that he's not going to be just wrapped up and thrown down very easily those types of things are very very important for a young quarterback that is still learning his presence in the pocket and where he needs to be and where the pressure is coming from because sometimes maybe he doesn't notice those things it's going to take a lot for him to come down but overall it, it really added an extra element that he needed to be accounted for in those situations where Everyone drops back in coverage, and he was able to run right up on the middle on that final offensive play and score that touchdown on fourth down. Maybe going forward, we'll see some defenses that are a bit more desperate to stop him if he's going to keep doing things like that by putting a quarterback spy on him, which will ultimately alleviate pressure 
from oncoming pass rushers and also open some things up in uh, the passing game because there will be one less guy covering for him. Yeah, I, I'm not sure we could exactly say defenses will be desperate to stop it, but it's something they will at least need to account for. And that will slow down the pass rush, which you know we saw was an issue this week. We saw it was an issue last week. Having something like that where the defense is going to have to be yeah, just aware of the fact that the quarterback can t- can pull the ball down and run and actually pick up yards, not just kind of galump. I think is a, a a good descriptor for the way Eli ran up towards the line of scrimmage and then stumble to the ground when it was time to slide. That's something defenses are going to have to be aware of, and they're going to have to be more disciplined in their rushes, which should help the Giants' offense. Yeah, desperate might not have been the best word that I was trying to think of there, but ultimately it does make things more multidimensional for this offense. What was another thing that you noticed, Chris, as a major positive for the performance of this team on the offensive side of the ball? I called out the play of the Giants receivers in our quick takes, and going back and rewatching it, I have to give them some major kudos for how they played. Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram in particular – but also the rookie Darius Slayton, you know, he showed off his speed. He stretched the field. I think that speed contributed to Engram, uh, sorry, Shepard being wide open on that last drive because Slayton ran down the field. He ran down the seam that pulled two defenders in the deep quarter, one of whom should have picked up Sterling Shepard. Neither of them were there. There wasn't anyone within 10 yards of Shepard when he got the ball. That's great for the offense. But then just the play of Shepard and Ingram on their own. You know, we already knew these guys are really good receiving weapons. They've got good, savvy route running. They weren't quite, on average, as wide open as I thought they were watching the game live. But that was probably because of how well they ran their routes and positioned their bodies with, in relation to where the ball was going to be that there was never going to be a defender right on top of the ball. The defenders were always going to have to try to play through the receiver to get a, always going to have to try to play through the receiver to have a chance of making a play on the ball, which is just exactly what you want those guys to do. And then after the catch, they showed what they could do. They, especially Evan Ingram with that just explosive athleticism he has. We saw that at the beginning of each half. You know, the first play of the first half, the first play of the second half were Ingram catching the ball in space, turning up field, turning on the Jets, and making a big gain. And especially with Saquon Barkley out, the Giants needed that. They need that big play threat. Daniel Jones is going to get all the headlines, but I need to shout out those guys because they were huge in this game. The Giants don't win without them. With them healthy and on the field as much as possible, it's really going to make things a lot easier for Daniel Jones. But I think another guy that we saw a good performance from that is a little bit underrated, could have had an even better one, was Darius Slayton, who really saw his first major action in yesterday's game. And they were running running a lot of go routes, a lot of deep routes to him. There were a couple chances for him to make some really big splash plays, but It just went right through his fingertips. If he extended a little bit more, he might have been able to make those plays. Overall, though, a pretty decent performance, though. Three receptions for 82 yards. And ultimately, that was what their goal was 
when they drafted him was to get a a fast, long receiver that can be used as a deep threat. They haven't really been able to develop much, much chemistry because Darius Slayton has been injured and not really in practice and getting into that rhythm with Daniel Jones. But now that he's back, hopefully some more reps, some more time together, some more work will create and develop a situation where on first or second down they can catch a defense not paying attention and hit the ball deep down the middle of the field or down the sideline for a 25 to 30 yard gain uh, and use him as that big play threat that he could potentially be. Yeah, definitely. And I got to say, I was impressed by Slayton's hand strength. There were a couple plays when he caught the ball and the defender was right on him. And you saw the defender kind of hack at the ball to try to knock it loose. And it did not budge at all. It didn't wiggle. To me, that was almost that was almost as impressive as his speed down the field, just his ability to hang on to the ball with somebody actively trying to rip it loose. Another point that we had, and we both agreed, was a bit of a positive and a negative. So the positive aspect of this was that Daniel Jones had very good pocket presence at times. Uh, we acknowledge this in the quick take show that he seemed very, very poised. He was very calm when dealing with pressure and almost acted oblivious to it at times. But that obviously created some negatives to be acknowledged because he was also not noticing the pressure in some situations, which caused him to fumble the ball in two situations and also some other questionable plays that could have been uh, called fumbles because his arm was coming forward, also resulted in some sacks. So the, like I said, the positive of that was that he wasn't getting flustered. He wasn't freaking out. He wasn't forcing the ball and throwing interceptions or um, taking crazy sacks in, in, in deep yardage. But we both need to acknowledge the negative aspect of it, which is he needs to get some more experience and learn what to do in situations where he can feel somebody breathing down the back of his neck. Definitely. And yeah, I like the fact that you use the word oblivious because it's at sometimes that's what it seemed like. It seemed like he didn't, it wasn't so much pocket presence as pocket obliviousness where he didn't really seem to recognize that there were defenders in the backfield at all. And like I said last night, we definitely don't want him starting to hear footsteps in the backfield and panicking or rushing through his process, forcing the ball, doing things like that. But you still have to be aware of your surroundings as a quarterback and just know where the pass rushers are. So you can either move away from them or protect the ball if you're not going to be able to throw it away or get away from them. Yeah, the good thing about this one negative is that it's a skill that can be developed. It's something that very few rookies can really have a sense for. It's almost better that he's not overly willing to just tuck it and run because we've seen rookies that were are far more mobile than Daniel Jones, like Robert Griffin III, who do that often. And he ended up having an injury-riddled career and is currently a backup. Uh, Lamar Jackson did it a ton in his first year with the Ravens, and now he's starting to develop more into a good pocket passer, uh, not just as a, a as a mobile quarterback. So those things are going to develop. They're going to improve over time. It really just takes reps and understanding and, and feeling that pressure and knowing what to do when that pressure comes. If it's just throwing the ball out of bounds and getting the ball away, so be it. It's going to take time. You just need to be a little bit patient here. Luckily, it's not some type of trait that that it's something that he could have been born with, like something like arm strength or, or any any of those circumstances where if he doesn't have it and he's not showing it, then you need to be concerned. But he can develop, he can improve, he can get better at those things. So the other negative 
that we noticed, Chris, was one that really made us cringe pretty much the whole game, and I'm sure it had Giants fans cringing as well, was the performance of Nate Solder against Shaq Barrett, who gave up four sacks and a number of quarterback pressures and hits. And we've seen this time and time again, Nate Solder not being able to to block and play against finesse and fast pass rushers. I mentioned this you know, in our when we were talking before we went on air. There were times when Nate Solder looked like Chad Wheeler, and that is not what you want to see, especially from a guy you went out and made at the time the highest paid offensive lineman in the NFL. The guy who's kind of, he's supposed to be the leader, the anchor of your offensive line. You really don't want him only able to play against average or worse players. You don't want him giving up pressure, getting beaten like a drum by athletic or technically savvy pass rushers, and especially this year because the Giants face a lot of good pass rushers this year. Everybody in the NFC East has good pass rushers. Most of the out-of-division games the Giants have feature good pass rushers. The Giants went up against a good defensive line in Buffalo. They went up against a good defensive line in Tampa. It's That's going to come up again and again, and that's something Solder in particular, but the offensive line in general needs to really work on and lock down because it wasn't just Shaq Barrett against Nate Solder. Vita Vea was just tossing guys out of the way and collapsing the pocket. Carl Nassib was kind of having his way against Mike Remmers. That is, I think, a concern for the Giants right now. They really had a tall task in blocking a very underrated and talented defensive line. It's not easy to play against Vita Vea, who is well over 350 pounds, and he looked like a behemoth on on the field yesterday. He looked way bigger than I really thought he was. But if you go back and look at every single passing play from yesterday's game, you really do notice that Nate Solder didn't really have any good reps against Shaq Barrett. It looked like he was obviously struggling in pretty much every single situation. He was very slow in his initial set. It looked like Shaq Barrett was beating him off the jump, and there was actually one particular play, I don't know if you remember, where he was almost off sides. He was, he was beating the jump so much. So very slow in getting into his set. His punch was very, very high, and Shaq Barrett was was beating him with very good pad level. Overall, just very, very high. He looked like he was leaning back a ton um, in some situations. But the other thing that you really don't want to see from a veteran offensive tackle was that he was lunging. He was pushing all of his momentum forward on passing plays and in his kick set, and that just allowed a quick and wily Shaq Barrett to redirect very quickly and just go the opposite direction of wherever he was lunging. If you're going against a, fa- a slower, bigger, heavier pass rusher, maybe you can get away with that. But when you have someone fast that, that has better pad level than you, that is quicker than you, has better feet than you, he's going to win nine times out of ten. Yeah, those are the cases where an offensive lineman needs to be able to be balanced, use his length advantage, and just kind of try to fend him off and ride him around the pocket and not basically panic and lunge because if an offensive lineman is lunging he is beaten that's just all there is to it and the only question is whether or not the pass rusher is going to get to the quarterback or not before the pass gets off hate to see this performance and hopefully he can build upon that and make some improvements 
another talented defensive line that they're going to be facing next week for the Washington Redskins. So we're going to take a look at our defensive performance for the Giants. But before we do that, we're going to take a very, very quick commercial break. Defensively, this game yesterday featured a number of positives and negatives. There were times that you and I were both were very content with their performance, but there were also some things that obviously need to be worked on that are reoccurring and things that just continue to come up time and time again. So first off, though, for the positive, and we said this in the quick take show, but we're going to go a little bit deeper now that we got to look at the tape, was that they were able to generate sacks, but more importantly, they were able to do so with only four rushers. They didn't need to send an all-out blitz and be desperately selling out in those situations to generate pressure. They were sending four guys, and guys like Marcus Golden uh, were able to get sacks, and, and even Dexter Lawrence was able to get in the box score with a pressure on Jameis Winston and wrapping up him up and taking him down. So those things are very positive in building on going forward. Yes, and one thing I noticed is they were sending four rushers, but they weren't they weren't rushing just straight up, at least not all the time. They were kind of mixing zone pressures in. I think the Giants' first sack, they had Lorenzo Carter lining up as an edge, as you would expect, but then had him drop back into a zone while another rusher came up. I believe it was Alec Ogletree on an outside rush. He came unblocked. That will really help your pass rush when you can create the confusion on the offensive line and get pass rushers unblocked into the backfield. And then being able to get the pressure with four, that will help out the secondary by just having more bodies to cover with. It almost didn't even help, though, having less guys rushing the quarterback because the amount of yards that they they gave up. We're going to get to that when we talk about our negatives because there's one very daunting one that needs to be acknowledged. But going back to discussing the the pass rushing situation, they were also doing a very good job, and you, you kind of alluded to it, you know, with stunts, with showing different looks as far as who was going to be rushing and then dropping one of those guys in, in, in pass coverage and bringing a different guy that was on the opposite end of the field or maybe in the middle of the field with a middle linebacker. They were able to disguise some things, and I, I think that did create some confusion. It's what we were hoping to see from James Betcher and his ability to be creative and scheme up some things. Hopefully they can keep improving and Maybe Marcus Golden could be the featured pass rusher as he, over the past two games, has generated some serious sacks. Um, The other positive that we noticed from this game, Chris, was that they were more effective when they chose to go to some press and tight man situations in the second half, unlike what they were doing in the first half. Yeah, and I'm not sure why it took them two and a half games to really get to this, because we knew watching his college tape that DeAndre Baker was a better tight man coverage corner than an off man or zone coverage. And we've always known that Janoris Jenkins is better in press man than in off man or again, zone. But at the beginning of the game, when the giants could barely even slow Tampa Bay down, every time you looked at the defense, they were playing some kind of soft coverage and Tampa was just completely taking advantage of those free releases. They were either picking up nice manageable gains in space or the receivers were just running past Jenkins and Baker. Those guys aren't terribly athletic corners. 
Jenkins is a, at least at the time of the draft several years ago, Jenkins was a little bit more athletic than Baker, but neither one is Patrick Peterson or you know, Denzel Ward or, or Jalen Ramsey. They're not going to be able to just turn and run with any receiver in the league on a dime like that. They need to disrupt the timing. They need to be able to disrupt the route and then use their quickness and ball skills to really stick with these guys which is what we saw in the second half. And for most of that, it seemed a lot more effective. It, it seemed as if Betcher was being a little stubborn and he thought that his philosophy of having that off coverage was going to work eventually. And I think he finally just caved and he said to himself, all right, this isn't working. We've got two talented guys that can work and press. And we actually started to see that working. Um, you could argue that some of the Bucks play calling might have helped in those situations because they were being a little bit more conservative and they were choosing to run the ball a little bit more. But regardless, they weren't allowing any open plays. They weren't allowing an offense that seemed to be centered around quick passes and getting the ball to the middle of the field, moving the ball downfield that way. It slowed things down. It, for a good period of time, slowed down Mike Evans in the second half up until that final play on the final drive where he hit, picked up a huge chunk play. But I think we just did see a, a more comfort level from DeAndre Baker. I don't have the statistics on his performance as far as what he gave up, but it didn't seem like we noticed him as much as we did in the first two weeks. Even if he maybe had some misassignments that we didn't even notice, he at least was performing performing significantly better um, in his coverage and in, in being able to make those plays. So now as far as negatives go, and we really had one major one that can be discussed from a number of different levels, and it was their lack of ability to cover tight ends. I think it goes a little bit in line with playing off coverage and not pressing guys and not covering guys very tightly, but they struggled significantly over the past few weeks in covering tight ends that aren't really premier tight ends. O.J. Howard, um, you know, the, the, the whole Dallas Cowboys tight end situation doesn't have any elite guys. Uh, do, do you see that, that issue being a reoccurring one? Yeah, it definitely seems to be. You know, they tried with Jabril Peppers. They tried with, I believe it was Grant Haley on a tight end. You know, they finally were able to kind of get a tackle and a stop with Michael Thomas you know, at the end of the game. But it seemed like no matter what the Giants tried, they couldn't really contain a tight end. And that's in any of the games they've played. You know, we saw, we've seen them get killed by Blake Jarwin with Dallas. Uh, Jason Witten, who came out of the nursing home to score touchdowns on the Giants. Dawson Knox was, he wasn't catching the ball, but he was beating Jabril Peppers. And then we saw O.J. Howard do it. I'm not sure if they have the pieces on the roster to really address that, but it's something they need to look at. The tight end is, the, the, it's a difficult matchup in the modern NFL, but the area of the field where they're used is, you have to be able to defend the middle of the field. You have to be able to defend the seam and you have to be able to take away those 12 to 15 yard receptions because those are just gut punches for a defense. Gut punches, certainly considering you're giving it up to a guy that isn't really the most athletic player on the field. You would think though, that maybe they'd be more willing to use some of the athletic linebackers they have, but 
at the moment, they're a little bit thin. Tay Davis left the game early. Alec Ogletree left the game early, who are considered to be the better coverage linebackers on this team. Ryan Connolly is a little bit more of an old school um, you know, type thumper. He's not really as rangy as some of those other guys. It seemed like in the past when we had Landon Collins, he was able to at least slow some guys down. Occasionally from time to time, he would get significantly beat, but he was at least big enough and strong enough to play those guys closely and to cover them. But I don't really see why it would make sense to have a, a five foot ten and shorter, under 200-pound safety trying to cover a tight end. It's just not going to end well. Even if he's staying up to speed with him, he has the height on him. All you need to do is throw the ball a little bit above him, uh, whatever tight end's trying to catch the ball, and they're going to make that play pretty much every single time. So something really needs to be figured out as far as coverage and who needs to be um, covering those guys in those assignments because whatever at the moment is not working at all. The final thing we're going to discuss here, though, Chris, is one that you wanted to acknowledge, which was uh, special teams. Yeah, you know, and, and in fact, since yeah, I don't know how many of our listeners know, but you are a special teams guy. You are a long snapper. So I figured I would just set you up on here and then turn you loose. I think we need to address the role that special teams played in this game yeah, on both sides of the ball because – Really, for the play of the Giants receivers, the play of the pass rush, the play of Daniel Jones, if it weren't for some good special teams play and some bad special teams play, the Giants do not win this game. As a special teams enthusiast, I've been trying to hold myself back from the first two games because I have I've significantly acknowledged and noticed good performances in the first two games, but I decided to hold it back. But all it took was you uh, egging me on a little bit when we were doing our, uh, our pre-show production here and our, had our little meeting. <laughs> and, you know, I'm going to go completely off as much as I can. I think the first thing that needs to be pointed out was that blocked PAT creating pressure and Dexter Lawrence pushing his way through the middle. He did an incredible job the whole game and is really the ideal guy that you want to put over the head of the snapper and cause fits for him. A long snapper is significantly at a disadvantage, and I can say that personally being one in trying to block those guys. You have your head down, and you're really just asked to stick and jut your arms out and hold up someone with your arms, which isn't really going to do much. Trying to arm grab at Dexter Lawrence, who's over 340 pounds, isn't going to do much. So he was able to do that against the the Bucks long snapper, Zach Triner, and create some pressure. That blocked PAT, I think, really set the tone for the Bucks rookie kicker because if you talk to any kicker if a if a field goal or a PAT is blocked or if you miss one that is going to negatively impact you for the rest of the game it's going to be in your head you're going to be thinking while you're coming across the ball and you're about to swing that oh are they going to block it are they close to me things like that when you're overthinking are enough to mess up your steps enough to mess up the timing on the play even if the snap and the hold are perfectly clean and I think we saw that on that final field goal and why he missed it. So I don't want to really say, even though we were giving acknowledgement to this yesterday, that that final field goal kind of gave the win to the Giants, but I think that they set that up. They set that up situationally throughout the game because they were getting in his head. They weren't allowing him to be comfortable. And finally, when it came down to an important play, he was thinking too much and he ended up missing it. The other thing that needed to be acknowledged as far as special teams was just great punt coverage. There were no long returns whatsoever. As soon as the ball was caught by 
uh, whatever returner was out there for the Bucks at, at each time, they were immediately wrapped up and tackled. There were two guys in the play, ready to make a play and getting some big hits. Maybe down the line in the future, in some of these games, they'll be able to force some fumbles and some turnovers, but just a great job of getting off blocks and streaming downfield and creating a very, very good coverage net. I, I don't have a whole lot to add about that. I thought maybe, with, just to go back to the kicking game, I thought maybe the Bucks rookie kicker who they mentioned during the game was their eighth different kicker in the last eight seasons. So, yeah, it's tough to find a good kicker. I, I think the Giants are pretty lucky with Aldrich Rosas, and it was smart of them to stick with him and develop him. Yeah, but when the rookie made that, what was it, a 52-yard kick just before the half, I thought maybe he had kind of gotten past that block and got more or less got his mind right. But I, we've gotten to a place where we think we just think of point afters as, you know, a touchdown is seven points. Just those kicks are so routine. These guys make them in their sleep. Washington, sorry, uh, Tampa missed two. And then those two points at the end of the game were absolutely huge. If they make those two points, you know, they're, they're not trying to kick from down one. They're kicking from up one at the end of the game. So it's those small plays that can completely change the complexion of a game. And that's the hidden yardage, the hidden points that special teams bring. And something I always go back to is, I believe it was back in 2010, the, at the time, San Diego Chargers, and who knows, they might be going back, had the best offense in the NFL, their number one ranked offense, and they had the number one ranked defense, but they still missed the playoffs because they had the worst special teams in the NFL, and that was enough to keep them out of the playoffs. So, yeah, special teams are important. So I think we're going to let you rant on them more often. <laughs> I definitely will rant more often if we see more great performances like that. Um, and, you know, the other thing, too, is we are very, and the Giants are very uh, grateful for having a good kicker in Aldrich Rosas, a consistent guy who's really only missed one field goal over the past two seasons, who is notably a, a fan of the... Uh, the Instagram account for Big Blue View is a consistent, <laughs> a consistent liker of uh, posts on our, our page, and additionally recently posted out a the graphic on his story. So, all love to Aldrich Rosas, who is easily my favorite specialist at the moment. Um, but that's going to be it from us, folks. Thank you for tuning in. The next up on tap for us is we're going to be discussing the Redskins game and what to expect. That will be likely coming out on thursday and you can be looking around for that but in, in addition to that wherever you're listening to us please rate and subscribe and give us your feedback on the show and in addition to that if you don't do so already be sure to follow us on social media at big blue view on twitter and at big underscore blue underscore view on instagram thank you for listening folks 